You're listening to a sermon podcast from Church at the Gates, where we desire for real people to meet the real Jesus and experience real change. We pray that God might use the next few minutes to draw you closer to Him. As you know, we're in week two of our two-week series of forgiveness. And last week, Danny walked us through the radical forgiveness that God offers us through His Son. And how by understanding God's forgiveness, we can not only receive, but we can share His love. Danny walked us through how forgiveness is always a chosen suffering. Hebrews 12 reads, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, showing us three things, that Jesus chose suffering, that we might know forgiveness, and that Jesus chose to take on our sin so that we could be reconciled to God. And lastly, that God's forgiveness should transform us in a way that makes us forgiving people who keep short accounts are enabled and are enabled to overlook offenses. If you have not yet had a chance to hear that message, I would just encourage you to head over and check it out. It's not one that you want to miss. This morning, as we continue our conversation and forgiveness, my hope is to lay before you three main points. One, I want to spend some time looking at what forgiveness is not. I want to look at the new life in Christ. And lastly, I would love to just take a look at what forgiveness and reconciliation looks like in the life of a believer. First, I want to acknowledge that when we talk about broken relationships and forgiveness, that more often than not, I know that it comes with a lot of weight attached to it. It comes with a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. I know that in my life personally and also just being an elder here at the church and just looking around and someone who has had the opportunity to walk alongside a lot of you, that there are a lot of us that are sitting in some really hard situations. I want to acknowledge that when we talk about reconciliation and forgiveness within our broken relationships, that there are a wide range of what this could look like. It could be anything from our everyday frustration with coworkers to relationships that have caused us some deep relational wounds, or maybe betrayals that have just ended up costing us more. And then there are some forms of wrongdoings that require some form of justice along with forgiveness. Matthew 18 shows us that we are called to forgive, but also understanding that not every situation is as easy or as straightforward as others. For instance, in verse 15, Matthew 18 reads, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You're not gonna give this advice to somebody who say is in an abusive relationship. My point being is that that sometimes we need the help of others to be able to step in and advocate for us. When we come to this passage, it's not so much as a step-by-step order Uh, as it is a guideline for what forgiveness looks like. So let's jump right into it this morning. Point number one, what forgiveness is not. I thought it would help if we first spent a little bit of time this morning clarifying what forgiveness is not. I ran across this article from Focus on the Family and that it gives five common misconceptions of what forgiveness is not. And I think it'll help Give, give us clarity this morning as we look at this. 
Number one is that forgiveness is not a feeling. If you're waiting until the feeling of forgiveness comes upon you, it's unlikely to occur. Forgiveness is an act of obedience to God stemming from his grace. And God knows that revenge, anger, and rage can destroy us both spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Tim Keller puts it this way, that forgiveness is granted often a good while before it is felt, not before, not felt before it is granted. It is a promise not to exact the price of sin from the person who hurts you. It is likely that you've always thought, well, I have, a, I have to feel it before I can grant it. I have to start feeling less angry before I start to not hold them liable. If you wait to feel it before you grant it, you'll never grant it. You'll be in an anger prison. Number two is that forgiveness is not pretending that you were not hurt. Walking around with a painted smile on your face while you're seething inside is not forgiveness. In scripture, we never see Jesus pretend. When he was sad, he cried. When he was angry, he turned over tables in the temple. You see, someone has betrayed your trust and they have damaged your soul or caused a loss. And it is okay to recognize and feel the hurt instigated from another's behavior. I could personally relate to this one, I think the most, in my house in which I grew up with, uh, the way that we handled conflict was not healthy. Uh, whenever there was conflict or wrongdoing, it was usually followed by a lot of anger, a lot of yelling, and typically a lot of verbal abuse. That's always where it would end. The next day, for lack of a better phrase, we were to sweep it under the rug and move on, to pretend like it never happened and just carry on with ourselves. The hurt, the pain, the anger, and the frustration never got addressed. And the outcome of that is that it has left some deep emotional wounds. If I could encourage you guys in anything this morning, it would be not to pretend that everything is okay when it's not. Don't pretend like everything is okay when it's not. God has given us emotions and feelings for a reason. To the parents, one of the best thing you could ever do for your children is not to suppress their emotions, but allow them to express them and teach them how to do it in a healthy manner. That'll help them with conflict and reconciliation later on in their life. Number three is that forgiveness is not condoning what the person did to you. Many people hesitate to forgive because they feel as though the wrongdoer is getting away with the offense or that forgiveness will somehow condone the offender's choices. Many of us can relate to this one. How often do we feel as though forgiveness can be a form of weakness? Or that we need to stand our ground and wait for them to come to us first. Instead, forgiveness releases the wrongdoer from the debt they owe you and releases you from the bitterness. Spend some time in prayer softens our hearts. I think about like the relationships that I've had in the past and the conflict and the hurt in the past and the dramatic difference it takes or the, the dramatic difference it is between when I try to handle them myself and whenever I take them to prayer. When I take it to prayer, I remember what God has done for me 
And it's amazing the way that it softens my heart towards the relationship that I have with that person. More often than not, it's that bitterness that we harbor that hardens our heart and prevents us from ever moving towards reconciliation in that relationship. Number four is that forgiveness is not trusting the offender. After betrayal, trust is not an automatic right to the offender. Forgiveness does not mean you immediately allow the person back into your life and your heart. If someone is repentant and willing to work on restoring the relationship, you might be able to trust him again eventually. However, sometimes those who wound us shouldn't be trusted again. Though forgiveness should, be a, should not be contingent on the person's repentance, a truly repentant person doesn't demand forgiveness or misuse Bible verses in an attempt to make you feel guilty. They humbly accept complete responsibility for the sin and consequences of their actions, which may include giving you time to see the evidence of their trustworthiness. I think about some of the relationships within my wife or within my life uh, where there have been some that I have forgiven, but I can no longer trust. And that's because they have chosen to continue down the same negative patterns uh, that has caused the offense and the hurt in the first place. And at that point, when they're unwilling to change, it's okay to be able to put up a protective barrier for you and your family. It is possible to inwardly forgive without being able to reconcile with the offending party. Yet anyone who truly forgives from the heart will be open to and willing to reconcile. Number five is that forgiveness is not relieving the person of the responsibility. A person shouldn't be off the hook from his or her responsibilities just because you chose to forgive them. For example, a wife or husband may be forgiven for placing the family in financial burden or in ruin with debt, but they should still be responsible to, pay, to be paying off the debt. Or a former spouse may be forgiven for destroying their marriage with an, with an affair, but they should still pay child support to their former spouse. Forgiveness does not eradicate or remove responsibility. It is not unloving to hold someone unaccountable. And oftentimes, accountability is the most loving thing you can do because accountability could lead to repentance. There's a quote that I love from Tim Keller that says, forgiveness is not, not the opposite of seeking true justice. It is among many other things. It's precondition. And so that's point number one of what forgiveness is not. Point number two, I want to look at our new life in Christ. Colossians 3, 1 through 17 is where we'll start this morning. And just a quick overview, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae. It's a short letter. It's only four chapters long. And within this book, Paul covers the deity of Christ, warnings against false beliefs, and our new life in Christ and living that out. Will you guys read with me in your word this morning as we go? Verse three, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12 reads, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 3 starts out, if then you have been raised with Christ. Paul, in chapter 1, he spends time unfolding the deity of Christ. In verse 15, he says the visible image of the invisible God. Verse 16, and for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Verse 16b, everything was created through him and for him. In verse 20, and through him, God reconciled everything to himself through the blood of Christ on the cross. Paul is giving this overarching view of Jesus, but then he moves into a more personal reflection. Verse 21 says, and this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. You, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in this physical body. Paul is making the point that we too once lived in rebellion to God. Ephesians 2 says, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, but through Christ's blood on the cross, we have been raised to a new life in Christ. So set your sights on the things of heaven. In chapter 2, verse 12, he talks about baptism a little bit. That after we put our faith in Christ, the first act of obedience for a believer is baptism. He says, having been buried with him in baptism in which you also raised with him through faith. What Paul is illustrating to us is that when we are baptized, it's this picture of dying to ourselves, that we're taking off our old clothes, our old identity and raised to a new life in Christ, new clothes and new identity. As I was thinking about this, I work for a garbage company here in Missoula. And as we continue to fill up the back of the hopper, we have a blade that comes down, swipes the garbage and pulls it up. And as that pressure pulls it up, things have a tendency to explode, right? Um, And so working the back of the truck, you have often a good chance of catching whatever explodes. And so it could be three week old chili. It could be 
it could be oil from somebody changing their oil, or sometimes you get hit with something that's like you can't tell what it is, and you got to hope for the best. <laughs> and so, like there's many a times driving home, I cannot get home fast enough to be able to change my clothes and to be able to shower and scrub myself clean of that. But when I get out of the shower, I'm not going to put on those old stinky clothes again. I'm going to put on brand new clothes. And that's kind of what Paul is talking about here, that in baptism, when we're dying to ourselves and being raised to a new life in Christ, we're not going to put on our same old clothes. We're not going to go back into the same old life and our same old ways that we're going to continue to strive to be putting on our new identity in Christ. He talks about that in verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. We can look at this list and we can all agree that that is not a way to live. When we look at sexual immorality, impurity, passion, uh, evil desire, we can look at this list and we can see uh, the destruction each of these could have in our life if we continue to pursue them. He moves on into verse seven and says, in these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self and its practices and have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. He moves into a more personal list, a more relational list. When we look at this list, it should be convicting to us all because there's not one of us in here that's not guilty of at least one of these things on the list within the last week. Thankfully, thankfully God has made a way through his son on the cross that when we fall short of this list, we can come to the Lord in repentance. Christ says, you got angry last week? My blood covers that. You yelled at your kids, you lost your temper. My blood covers that. You are forgiven. When we look at the layout of the Colossians, we see that he talks about our faith in Christ first and then our act of obedience after being baptized. And that works as we get into verse 12, putting on the, the um, putting as chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassion, hearts, kindness, humility. Um, as we, that those should be an outworking of our faith, that they don't come before how many times do we come to the Lord for forgiveness on a weekly basis, on a daily basis? How many times will we have to forgive others for falling short of the same list? Jesus says, I do not say to them seven times, but 77 times. When we look at how many times the Father has forgiven us, the forgiveness that we have through our relationship with the Father should change the way that we interact with our personal relationships. It should be stimming, it should flow through us. And that's why Paul encourages us to, in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and to be thankful. See, it's no surprise that God, it's no surprise to God that forgiveness 
and reconciliation would be a part of our lives. If the goal is to grow more and more like Christ, then we should allow the forgiveness that we receive from Christ to flow through us and into our relationships. That forgiven people forgive. You have been saved because of the love and forgiveness you have come to know from the Father and received from him. Don't allow the bitterness within you to rob others from experiencing the same law, the same love. Point number three, I want to take a look at what forgiveness and reconciliation looks like in the life of a believer. And so how do we apply this to our lives? How should forgiveness look like and how should it play out in our lives? Um, That's a good question. I want to give you guys three elements of pursuing truth love, and relationship that I believe will be very helpful. This comes from the book by Tim Keller called Forgive. I can't recommend this book enough, and if you guys don't have it, I encourage you guys just to pick this up, especially if you guys are dealing with brokenness in your relationships and heartache. There's a lot of meat and potatoes in here that you guys are going to want to spend some time on to be able to digest. Um, It's an incredible resource. This comes from this book. And so three elements to pursuing truth, love, and relationship. Number one is that God God requires forgiveness whether or not the offender has repented and asked for forgiveness. Mark 11, 25 reads, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. It does not, this does not say forgive him if he repents, but rather Forgive him right there as you are praying. We deeply forgive on the inside so as to have no desire for vengeance. But then we are to speak openly about what has happened with a desire to help the person see what has been done wrong. It's only if you have, been, it's only if you have forgiven on the inside that you can correct unabusively without trying to make the person feel terrible. Only if you forgive on the inside will your speech have any hope of changing the person's heart. Otherwise, it'll be so filled with disdain and hostility that they will not listen to you. Number two, God requires speaking truth. Sometimes this can be the hardest part of it, right? Addressing confrontation, going to the person and speaking. That is why Jesus tells us and the disciples in Luke 17, three through four, to rebuke, rebuke the wrongdoer, and if they repent, forgive them. Many readers think that Jesus is saying that we can hold a grudge if the person doesn't repent, but we can't read Luke 17 to contradict Mark 11. Jesus is calling us here both to enter forgiveness and to rebuke and correct. We must completely surrender the right to pay back or get even. Yet at the same time, we must never overlook injustice and must see serious wrongdoings redressed. You see, forgiving on the inside and to rebuke and correct on the outside are both acts of love. It is never loving to let a person get away with sin. It's not loving, A, to the person who continues down that path of sin, to the others, who will be wronged by that sin in the future and to God who is grieved. And number three is that we are to speak truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. We are to pursue justice gently and humbly in order to redress wrongs and yet maintain and restore the relationship. 
So I think it's important for us now to be able to take a look at maybe what that reconciliation process would look like uh, if we were to approach it. I think obviously the first choice that we would do is go to the God in prayer. We would pray silently asking for wisdom and a sense of his love. We assume that he is speaking to you through this whole thing and is showing you ways you should be more careful, maybe change. Assume he is speaking to you even through a flawed person. Beware of being defensive. Don't explain yourself too quickly and don't interrupt and make sure that you are showing sympathy. Always asking, is there anything else? And make it safe to criticize you. Such as, that must have been hard or I can see why you were concerned. And always look beneath the criticism for needs and the critic that may be there in which you can be concerned. When we talk about the reconciliation process, I love the way that he just kind of lays this out in this book, starting with Matthew 5, um, that we always start with ourselves, that we begin with ourselves and we look for what we have done wrong and we collect the criticism. Start by listening to what you think you have done wrong and by asking the other person to add to the list. Then listen to the criticism you've been invited, which can sometimes be the hardest part. And I think that was, goes back to not being so defensive or being quick to defensive, but being open and being able to listen to it. Seek and distill the criticism in, of you into something that is clear and specific. And if you have done that, if the above has not prompted a confession from the other person, um, then I would begin with, from my point of view, it looks to me like, and then you can put out, you did this, and it affected me this way. I think it would be far better for all concerned if instead you did this. And then always loop back with, I'm coming to ask you for if my understanding is maybe correct, accurate or distorted. Correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe could you explain what happened? Be sure to list the things specific and do not be vague. I think often, I think the main point of this too is that when you go into it, the way that we posture ourselves into it plays a huge role. Always making sure that you have a loving and humble tone and always attack the problem and never the person. Suggest substitutes and solutions for alternative courses of action and behavior. In the heart of the discussion, you may discover some underlining goal or need that the other person is trying to meet that could be met in a more constructive way. So as we talk about communion or forgiveness today, we're gonna to move into a time of communion. We wanted this sermon to be a little shorter than normal this time to allow you guys time to sit and reflect on all that we have talked about and what that might look like in your life. Before we take communion, um, we wanna be able to set some time and reflect on what we've looked at over the past two weeks. We've looked at what it means to fully receive God's forgiveness, that God made us a way to know him, to receive the forgiveness of our sins and to have a restored relationship with the Father through Christ. We looked at how Christ's work on the cross was a chosen suffering. Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, that Christ chose suffering that we might know forgiveness and be reconciled to God. 
We looked at how fully receiving forgiveness should transform us into people who forgive, that people or forgiven people forgive. We took time to look at Paul's instructions on how we ought to live our life as a new creation in Christ, stripping off our old sinful nature and clothing ourselves and putting on our new nature. So right now, Danny's gonna come up. We're gonna play a song. We're gonna give you guys five minutes to be able to spend some time reflecting on this. I'm gonna put up three things that I want you guys to spend this time kind of looking over, thinking about and praying about. One, pray. Spend some time in prayer asking God to reveal the areas in your life that you need to ask for forgiveness or to seek for forgiveness. Maybe send a text. Maybe it's been long overdue. Maybe it's time to get that conversation going by just sending a text saying, hey, it's been way too long. Can we talk? Or thirdly, Maybe there's someone in here that you guys have had a dispute, something that has hindered your guys' relationship or broken your relationship. What would that look like for you to walk over and to seek reconciliation now? I'm gonna give you guys five minutes. I'd love for you guys to come up and get the elements, return to your seats, and I'll come back up here and we'll go through communion. Thank you for listening to a sermon podcast from Church at the Gates. For more information about our church or to connect with us about what you've just heard, please visit churchinmissoula.com.